Okay, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Before we get uh, started with, uh, with the class itself, let's open in prayer. Father, thank you, for, thank you for bringing us together here this morning. Thank you, for the, thank you for the safe trip we all got in this snow. We just pray now that as we gather together here that we would, we would learn more about you, learn, learn just what's going on, help us apply what's going on in the world in light of your word and what you've told us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, topic this morning is UFOs. What's going on out there? Because uh, there seems to be uh, seems to be a lot of stuff going on that we sometimes aren't aware of. Sometimes are. Current situation, just the, the the world we live in here. Credible UFO sightings continue to increase. 1978, 1987, both years, about nine percent of U.S. U.S. adults reported having seen a UFO. By last year, that figured almost doubled to 16 percent. Human interest in uh, UFOs continues to increase. Uh, there was a poll done just last September, so less than six months ago, that showed that 33% of Americans think alien UFOs have, in fact, visited the Earth. Young people, non-college grads, and uh, irreligious figures, that gets close to 40%. Uh, those of us that are more seasoned citizens, uh, that number goes down a little bit. but the. Lowest demographic is 27%, so there's a sizable minority of people that think that aliens have visited this Earth. Actually, 75% of people in the same poll believe that extraterrestrial life exists on other planets. 50% believe that intelligent life must exist uh, elsewhere in the universe. And around 7 out of 10 Americans in that same poll think that the government is hiding something. Uh, which is we see, you know, some of the things that are mistaken for UFOs include, you know, secret military aircraft. So you can bet the government is hiding some stuff. They're not going to give away our military secrets. And I can give some examples in the past of like our U-2 spy plane uh, was mistaken for a UFO. Also, we've had cultural acceptance of the concept of extraterrestrial life. I don't know how many watched the Super Bowl. But there was an extraordinary number of ads that had space-based themes, uh, including advertisers like uh, Toyota, Walmart. Uh, there was a SodaStream ad that depicted discovering water on Mars. That included Bill Nye, the science guy, in the commercial. So when they discovered uh, water on Mars, he says, this changes everything. And the ad concludes, this is a fictional story for now. If any of you listen to the radio, Chris Lindahl has got billboards all over. He's got ads. I don't know if you've heard the radio advertisement that you know, sort of uh, you know, port portrays visiting an alien uh, planet and looking and seeing, is that a Chris Lindahl billboard? And, the, and that ad concludes, Chris Lindahl doesn't have billboards in outer space yet. <laughs> Popular movies, uh, if we adjust for inflation figures, uh, Star Wars all-time grossing movies, one of the Star Trek episodes, Star Wars episodes is number two, E.T. is number four. Five other Star Wars episodes are in the top 20 of all-time grossing movies. So this is something that human beings are very much interested in. And you can see that you know, this interest has certainly shaped the opinion when you get, get that many people that really think that there's alien life elsewhere and that aliens have visited this planet. Now, the UFO sightings reported, possible explanations. We've got natural phenomenon here. Uh, if you can see the planet Venus, that's the most common 
uh, thing that's mistaken for uh, UFOs, but you've got other things, satellites, meteors, meteor showers, rocket launches, vehicle in space, weather balloons high and low altitude. Uh, you've got astronomical phenomena like the northern and southern lights. I don't know how to pronounce this. Go to the next slide. Noctilucent nightlight clouds, and that, you know, that, that confuses folks too. Lenticular clouds. These are lens-shaped clouds that look remarkable like a flying saucer. And there's some really spectacular pictures. If you're interested, you go on the internet and Google lenticular clouds, and you'll see just an array of photos that really look like uh, flying saucers as depicted in science fiction uh, movies. So anyway, uh, lightning, ball lightning, is a very rare type of lightning, which actually occurred in our house when my youngest child was very young. There was, we had a, I had a big, uh, a big ash tree in front that was, had metal wires tied together. And anyway, lightning hit, there's a storm, lightning hit, traveled down through, right in through our front door. And my son was sitting on, he's about three years old, four years old, sitting on his steps. And his, I mean, he got numb, his, his hair stood on end, and then the ball lightning went away. So it's a very rare lightning, but anyway, that can be mistaken for UFOs as well. So. So most of the sightings, there's a very small percentage of initial reported sightings that are actually continue to be unidentified, but there are, there are some for sure. And in, in raw numbers, it's hundreds a year just in the United States. Possible explanations uh, for the ones that can't be explained by natural phenomenon. Uh, remaining sightings have really one of the two following hypotheses. One is extraterrestrial origins are coming from outer space. Uh, somewhere, and that this is the prevailing view among secular scientists and researchers. Or extra-dimensional origins, explanation that I think is supported by the biblical record, that these things really aren't from outer space, they're really from another dimension, a, a dimension that we don't live in, we don't have access to, but they can come into this dimension for a time being anyway, and then leave again. So the extraterrestrial theory itself has some, uh, has some great difficulties to overcome. The first one there is power needed to achieve this necessary speed. For them to travel here at the speed of light, there's just no known power available that would, uh, that would do that. Uh, you've got, uh, even, even if they could, you've got uh, ultra high speed collisions. I mean, space looks empty, but it's not. It's estimated there are 100, 100,000 dust particles uh, per cubic kilometer of space. And at light speed, a, a collision with a spacecraft and any one of these little dust particles would absolutely destroy the spacecraft. If you remember your Einstein's theory, energy equals mass times velocity squared. So the mass is very small of these dust particles, but velocity squared puts it off the charts in terms of what the, what the power would, would be. In fact, we have an example. This we can see back in 1983, the space shuttle Challenger, whose maximum speed was 18,000 uh, miles an hour, maybe. So it was, I don't know if it was going close to that or at that, but it hit a small flake of paint and it put a huge crater in the front window of this of the spacecraft that was designed to withstand you know all sorts of things so we do have an example of that and we can imagine we can extrapolate certainly and see if if an object traveling at the at the speed of light hit even anything small it would be totally destroyed 
detecting approaching objects. There's no known source right now. If you were going the speed of light, you'd need to have some ability of something going faster than the speed of light to detect an object in front of you before, before you got there. Avoiding approaching objects, even if you could detect it, even if you could overcome the power problem and detect an object like that that was approaching you, in order to do a, an evasive maneuver, it just is not physically possible either, too. If, the g-force would be so great that everything would be destroyed. I think uh, if you have gone down a steep ride at the State Fair roller coaster, that's about a 1g of force. It equals the gravitational pull. Uh, Air Force fighter pilots, when they're doing some maneuvers, if they get up to 3g, th three times gravitational force, blood vessels in their eyes can pop. At 5g's, they pass out. At 9g's, they would die in a matter of seconds, and the aircraft would start to disintegrate. We're talking, moving at the speed of light, we're talking uh, millions of Gs force. So how any material, whether it's human, any life form, or the craft itself would survive is just, is just not really realistic. You know, there's been, there's been spe speculation that, you, you know, there's some form of propulsion that we don't know about that could work. Uh, they said, well, antimatter. If you had antimatter, you could really generate, uh, you know, generate enough energy to do this. Uh, problem is there is minuscule amounts of antimatter. What it really is is matter. You know, electrons have a negative charge. Protons have a positive charge. Antimatter, it's just the reverse. The electrons have a positive charge. Protons have a negative charge. And there is a, a minute amount of antimatter that, that is detected in radioactive decay of things. But uh, scientists, they, they can reproduce antimatter or produce antimatter in laboratories with using, you know, high particle, you know, accelerators and stuff like that. But the last I read is the most antimatter that scientists were able to produce in one year would light an ordinary light bulb for three seconds. So that's not a realistic, uh, not a realistic uh, choice either. Uh, cosmic rays, you know, it's, Space is full of them. It's just and, and going that fast. You know, it may even you know increase the amount of cosmic rays uh, available. Uh, you've also got philosophical problems with extraterrestrial theory, and the whole thing comes back to evolution. Uh, so many things, so many beliefs of the secular world uh, are rooted back in the in the belief that. No, there is no creator. God did not create things. Things evolved. Things just, you know, nothing, nothing generated everything. But there's also implications regarding the death and atonement of Jesus Christ. There's Romans 6.10 and also verses in, in Hebrews 7, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 12 that talk about Christ dying once and for all. So what do you do if there really are alien beings? Did Christ die for them? Well, he really couldn't have because they're not related to any sort of human race here. So it opens up a whole can of worms in that regard. Now, we'll spend most of the time here with evidence supporting the extra-dimensional hypothesis. And we've got biblical references to spirit beings on Earth. So we've got actual examples of this happening. We've got Genesis, actually before Genesis 19, we've got Genesis 6, verses 2 and 4. I don't know if anyone's got their Bible there and wants to open that. We can, let's go to Genesis 6, verses 2, three, 2 through 4. I can read them. Genesis 6, verses 2 through 4, correct? Yes. Okay. 
that the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Thank you. Uh, sons of God, you know, it's been a matter of some controversy, but I think I'm in good company with Eric for one, John MacArthur, uh, several others that believe this refers to the fallen angel. It doesn't refer to a human being. It actually refers to extra-dimensional beings in the form of fallen angels that entered our dimension at that time. And Chrissy's, you know, read what they did. We've also got Genesis 19, and it says, uh, now the two, Genesis 19:1. now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. And I won't go into the whole story there, but just another example showing that angels, I mean, God tells us this, angels, extra-dimensional beings, came into our dimension, came into our world. We've got Hebrews 13:2. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. And I, that verse has always just blown me away. How could that be possible? Well, God tells us angels can and have entered our dimension and taken on human form, and people are just not aware. They think they're dealing with human beings. They're really dealing with angels. Uh, I got a couple other verses here. Uh, John 3, 12 through 13. Jesus said, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one has descended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. Jesus didn't come from this world. Jesus came from another dimension as well, the spiritual dimension too. And there are many more verses. I'll just end that part with Jude 1, verse 6. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So there's many other references, too, in the Bible that indicates that God's telling us that both good angels and fallen angels have entered into our dimension and, and interacted with human beings. Like I say, the whole thing about UFOs, the perspective really boils back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that translation should, some of the newer translations, you know, include universe. It, it really is everything created, everything material in the universe that we see. Genesis 1.1 says God created this. Time itself was created that this, you know, along with this too. Evolution you know, though says the Big Bang Theory, it says everything came into existence by itself out of nothing about 15 billion years ago. And really both these things are based on preconceived beliefs. Uh, creationists believe in the God of the Bible and his creation of the entire material universe. And evolutionists reject the introduction of a creator, any possible explanation of how life itself began. And the question is, can science prove with certainty either belief? because we hear a lot about science now. My, I've got a nephew that says, well, I believe in science, and he's an engineer, and that's, that's what he's resting his belief on, science. 
And really, we have two main types of science here. Operational process science is a science that can be repeated, observed, tested. And you've got historical or origin science, which can't be observed, tested, or repeated. Those are the two types of science. An example, we have to understand the limits of science, these two types of science. Christians are routinely accused of being anti-science, primarily because of their belief in creation and a rejection of evolution. But uh, just describing the two types of science, operational science or process science is the kind of science we're all familiar with. If you take, a, take water and bring it in the kitchen there and boil it, it's going to boil here at sea level 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Here in Minnesota, it's probably about 210 and a half. But you can observe it, you can test it, you can come back tomorrow and do the same thing. The results are exactly the same. And this is the kind of science that has led to you know, air travel, uh, you know, electronics, all sorts of things. It's science, once again, the, the, the three conditions. You know, it's observable, it's testable, and it's repeatable. Now, historical or origin science it can't be observed, tested, or repeated. Uh, and it really involves working out what happened in the past and the assumption that life emerged spontaneously on Earth, therefore, must have emerged spontaneously elsewhere as well. But there's no testable, repeatable experiment to show, for instance, whether reptiles changed into birds or apes into humans or anything else, which is what the evolutionists claim. And we can't really prove nobody was there. You know, no matter how the Earth was created, nobody was there and nobody observed it. Uh, can't be repeated, can't be tested. So the theory really relies on a, a preconceived belief either way. Peter? Would global warming fall into that latter category? In, in, in some ways, yes, it's kind of related because they'll try to go back and say this is what it was like in the past and there's no real basis, you know, you can't, you can't really do that. Uh, so anytime, anytime you go back, and the farther back you go, you know, the more speculative, you know, your so-called science becomes. So the problem is the science, the observable science, the process science is so provable to everyone that just attaching the same word science to the historical or origin science and, and people accept it with the same degree of credibility and there's just not a very good reason to do that. In fact, here's a, here's a quote from uh, four gentlemen that wrote a book, Creation Ministries International. And I didn't really mention that it on your, was on your slide, but I'm, my main source material was this book, Alien Intrusion, written by, Alan, or by Gary Bates, who's the head of Creation Ministries International US. It's one of the really good creation you know, resources. You know, there's Answers in Genesis, uh, Institute for Creation Research, and maybe some other ones, but Creation Ministries International is what, Christy? It's not on their slides, it was just on the first slide. Oh, just on the first slide there, okay, okay, good. Anyway, these gentlemen wrote the, this. The conflicts between science and religion occur in historical science, not operational science. Unfortunately, the respect earned by the success of operational science confounds many into thinking that the conjectural claims arising from origin science carry the same authority. And they just don't, but it is an object of confusion. If I may indulge you, just uh, as an aside here from an you know, evolution uh, standpoint, I came across, doing the research here, I came across a mathematical reason that to me just totally debunks the claim, you know, the, the, t 
disparity between creation and evolution and tells which is true. Evolutionists say that human life emerged, I've seen all sorts of things, half a million years, two million years, all over the place like that. So what would the population of the world be like if human really, beings really have been alive that long? So there's a mathematician named John, oh, what's his name? Uh, I'll think of his name. Uh, anyway, mathematician said, well, let's just test this out. And we, we can use a, a period of 100,000 years, which in evolutionary terms is incredibly short. If you start with two people and you use a growth rate of 0.1%, which is near extinction level, if it gets any lower than that, the human race is not going to survive. It's going to go extinct because it's not reproducing fast enough. Anyway, if you use that for 100,000 years, starting with two people, population on the Earth today would be 5.38 times 10 to the 21st power, I think. So that's a number too big. That's a number as big as the you know, estimated stars in the universe. So that doesn't work too well. And you can take the number down even to, to as much as 25,000 years, and the number is just absolutely way too much. But if you believe the Bible and go to the biblical account, Noah's flood. Uh, I think everyone's in agreement. It's about 4,500 years ago. Eight people came out of that flood. The rest of human life was destroyed. So if you, do the, if you take eight people 4,500 years ago, use the, what the average historical uh, population growth rate has been, which is 0.43%, 4, 4, 4, 5%, something like that. Current, current population growth rate is about 1.2%. But using the lower figure, uh, the average figure that we can measure going back, and, and our records aren't great you know, going back farther than four or 500 years. Anyway, if we take that 4,500 years, eight people, four couples, populating the Earth at an average growth rate, 0.45%, that comes out to 7.7 .7 billion people is what the world population should be like today. Anyone know what the world population is today, estimated in 2019? 7.7 .7 billion. So the difference is stark. It's not just really close, where one's a little more active than the other. The biblical account really supports, uh, or is supported by the population growth as we have observed it. Yes, Eric. I'm sorry, just uh, back to that previous slide that you were on. I was just going to mention in that, Whoops, um, which one? I'm sorry, right there, in the operational or process science, to me, it's always been devastating, the second law of thermodynamics, because in the second law of thermodynamics, you really have this entropy where in a closed system, all energy is going from a higher organized state to a lesser organized state, meaning all the, the sun and the stars, they're going to burn out one day. Well, that's really difficult for an infinite lifespan of a universe, because how can you have an infinite lifespan of a universe with a finite supply of usable energy? And it was so devastating that even that Robert Jastrow, who was head of NASA's Goddard Space Institute said that, you know, there really isn't any way that the universe could self-create itself. That's an absurdity, but it also can't be eternal. And he knew that there had to be something outside of it that put it into motion. The other thing I was going to point out, Bob, is um, you can find this in the Baker Encyclopedia of Apologetics. There's something called the Anthropic Principle. And what they look at is just how privileged our, our solar system is. When people conjecture that there must be life out there, they fail to realize just how difficult it is for galaxies and solar systems to maintain life. For example, where we are in the Milky Way galaxy happens to be in a point 
where the centrifugal force and the G-loading is just right so that you can have life that's sustained. But about anywhere else in our own galaxy, things would be torn apart because of the gravitational forces. Um, you look at our solar system, how privileged Earth is, Jupiter, Saturn, all the planets, they're really designed to be blockers. They've taken huge hits from asteroids. And so this idea that, well, we just have some planet out there and there's gonna be, it's gonna be conducive for life. There are so many problems and it's so formidable to have life because of the, the problems with the G-forces, the problems with all the asteroid hits. It's very difficult to conceive of life surviving. And I love what you shared about just the, the idea of traveling through space, how formidable that is. So it's very doubtful that you can have life. It's very difficult. No, it is. Thank you very much, Eric. And, uh, and certainly... Uh, many of these, uh, many of the originators of, of you know, the process science uh, were believers in a creator. Uh, na you know, names include Isaac Newton, Robert Boyle, Lord Kelvin, and Louis Pasteur. So it hasn't been this, you know, this religion or science at all. Some of the, like I say, these names you recognize, recognize some of them, certainly if not all of them. So, but you bring up a good point, Eric, because that's one of the things that the evolutionist, the believer in extraterrestrial travel and going through all these science fiction things to try to say, well, you just have deflector shields, you know, to do this dust, you know. And I, hey, I, I love, I was one of the original Trekkies. I love Star Trek. But it's just, you know, it's complete science fiction. In fact, uh, Arthur Clarke, who gave us the 2001 Space Odyssey, said that uh, you know at, at the outer limits, uh, you know, science, uh, science fiction, are, and, and magic, they're pretty indistinguishable. So that's uh, that's exactly what we're talking about. Those people are talking magic. Norm, that's interesting. Uh, you're talking about that mathematical formula about how many people would be on the Earth and so forth. I mean, it, it seems like this certainly points up the fact that when God designed the earth and put people on here on the earth, there is a time limit of how long this is going to go on. And we know that that's true. There is a time yes. when it's going to come to an end. So I think this is all ties together well that uh, to prove that there is an it's, end time when the it's earth is going to be burned up Thank and you. everything. Which also makes me think about the big thing we hear going on today is sustainability, that we have to do things on the earth so that it can just go on and on and on and on. And that's not part of God's plan that it's going to go on and on and on. No, thank you, Norm. It's not, and that uh, the the the, the non-Christian, you know, just bristles at the suggestion that you know that we don't worship the earth and don't try to sustain it forever. It's not a very popular message, as is the rest of the Christian message is not very popular with uh, <laughs> with the world. Uh, okay, we got a late start, so let me get let me get to this uh, purpose of U.S. soil manifestations. You know, there's such deception and, you know, just going through the anecdotal stuff, the, the researchers, including many Christian researchers that have interviewed people that have seen UFOs. You know, we, we saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind made into a movie. I mean, now there's Close Encounters of a Fourth Kind, which involves, you know, alien contact, alien abduction, and I don't want to spend too much time on that. But the reality is that these people report back what the message of the aliens are 
and it is really an anti-biblical, unbiblical message. So the purpose is deception. So let's, uh, if, let's turn to Matthew 24, 34. I didn't print that out either, so if someone would read that, I'd appreciate that. I'm sorry, Bob, I was just going to mention it's in uh, verse 24. So it's probably oh, just a typo. It's, uh, did, yeah, okay. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Okay, so 2424. 2424. Thank, 24, 24. thank yep. you, Eric. Yep. Okay, First Timothy 4, one. First Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies, in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Keep going. Thank you. No, that's, that's fine. Thank you. Just, I just want to get that deception part across. Does someone have 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen? And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Thank you. And last one here, 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 11. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, so as to be saved. Thank you. So there's many more verses. I mean, it's a common theme throughout the Bible. It started in Genesis when the serpent deceived Eve. So Satan's goal has always been to deceive us. He's not going to come and tell us the truth and have us reject the truth. He's going to come. He's, I mean, he's the father of lies. So the message that these extraterrestrials, as they think they are, these aliens, these beings, convey is always a new age message. In fact, most of the people that have had these so-called abduction experiences have been emerged in the new age movement, occult practices, or if they haven't beforehand, they will quickly after they have one of these encounters. So uh, what I want to focus on here is the, if these are demons, in fact, how it, what is the response of these UFOs uh, compared to the response of demons in the New Testament? The first one there is Mark 9:38. It says, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to hinder him because he was not following us. I'll just leave it at, at that. So anyway, there's an example of someone casting out demons in Jesus' name. Mark 16, 17 says, And these signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Luke 10, 17, And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Uh, and Jesus goes on you know, to say, Well, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. But... He didn't disagree with them and say, no, the demons are not subject to you in my name. He let that statement stand because it's true. Okay, Acts 16, 16 through 18. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Okay, I've got another verse I'd like someone to read because I don't have the verses here. Acts 19, verses 13 through 16. Then some of the 
itinerant Jews exorcists, excuse me, Jewish exorcists, took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Thank you. So what was the difference there? The name of Jesus was used. Why didn't it work on that occasion? person wasn't a believer. So I think that's the distinction we see. All the other, all the other places, it was G Jesus himself or a believer that invoked the name of Jesus and the demons did as they were told. They left. In this case, the person was not a believer, tried to use the same thing. So it's not just a formula. It only works for believers. I can't find any other examples in the, in the New Testament where a non-believer was able to succeed doing that. So the reason, reason I bring that up uh, is because reports of people encountering UFOs is very, very similar. Believers have called on the name of Jesus to somehow rescue them, get them out of this situation, and the UFOs, the aliens, whatever they are, have obeyed and, and done that. People that have tried that, they're not believers. It hasn't worked. They've been continued to be tormented. So that means, leads me to believe that that's another similarity. That's why I believe these so-called aliens are really fallen angels, evil spirits. OK, let me read Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. You know, we're told our battle is really not against flesh and blood, but against these powers, you know, that are, are spiritual in nature. They're not physical, they're not human. So before we go to this last uh, thing here, 1 John 4, 4 says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. I've just got a short video I'd like to... Hi, it's Pastor Steve Ciccolanti here, and we've got Keith, one of our YouTube fans, with me on a tour of Israel, and we were just taking a question, and suddenly people were asking about, what do you believe about aliens? Are they real? Is there life on other planets? And based on the Bible, I believe that uh, there are aliens. In fact, you know, all the angels are aliens. They're from another uh, planet, another dimension. Uh, all the demons also that are fallen are aliens. But they manifest themselves these days through what many people consider uh, UFOs, unidentified flying objects. And when we were talking about this, how I said, you don't have to be afraid of aliens. If you ever see one, if you ever see like a UFO, you could just take authority by it, it'll crash out of the sky. Suddenly, I didn't realize we had a pilot with us, and I just want you to hear uh, this pilot's testimony. Go for it. Hi, I'm Keith. i am uh, been an airline pilot for the last 20 years, flying for the last 32 years. About a year and a half ago, 
uh, we were flying uh, from uh, Sri Lanka uh, to India side and uh, in front of us uh, there were a few aircraft but no traffic but they were reporting uh, seeing lights in the sky and verifying for uh, any uh, aircraft traffic in front of us or un uh, military activity. Uh, the air traffic control actually came back to them and said uh, there was no verifiable traffic but uh, out of the distance uh, I did see lights. Uh, even the two colleagues on the flight deck with me, uh, we, we all saw lights. The lights were iridescent, it was changing colours and it was very erratic in movement. Now let's just explain that for a second. Erratic movement, what I've heard is these things can go at supersonic speed and suddenly they make a right turn, which no military aircraft can do, right? No. So erratic is like just it, up here? Yeah, it was just in one direction it went off and uh, it came back, but in a different uh, area in the sky. Is so it possible maybe there's multiple of them? No, there was one. There was one? There was one. You're sure of that? Absolutely sure. And then what happened? And uh, of course, uh, we clarified information with the air traffic control as well. And uh, as I said, no verifiable traffic. Um, I knew exactly what it was, and I knew exactly what I was seeing. and. Uh, Basically what I did was to rebuke it, rebuke it in the name of Jesus, and straight away the activity stopped. Wow. Wow. And so you got it there, first-hand testimony from an expert. This is someone trained, and um, Keith, you're not a new pilot, are you? No, for the last 32 years. You've been a pilot 32 years, That's not, not like a rinky-dink airline. No, I'm a senior airline captain. Senior airline and a major airline. That you probably, uh, you know, those listening probably have flown on. This is a senior pilot with two other uh, co-pilot, one a trainee pilot. All three of them saw erratic movement from a UFO. And here's the catcher: the moment he used the name of Jesus, the thing disappeared. So we're never afraid, and that gives another witness that UFOs are not um, interplanetary objects. They're actually interdimensional. They're spiritual objects coming to deceive people. And a lot of people end up believing that, oh, I don't believe the Bible anymore. I don't believe God. Aliens made me. So that's a fairy tale. And the Bible's talked about incursions from the Nephilim in Genesis chapter 6 when the, the fallen sons of God... Um, you know, invaded the earth and made such a mess. That's why there was Noah's flood. It was the cause of Noah's flood. So I'm very happy to, to share this and then have confirmation from you as a senior pilot. I'm really thankful for that. That's arranged by God. And I'm, I really believe that's going to help someone that's been trapped or been uh, in this delusion, believing that aliens made them and aliens going to save them. No, there is one God, and he sent his son Jesus to save us. And only through him you can be free from these demonic influences. I'll tell you one more thing that I've heard directly from someone else who's done UFO research. He found out a commonality between uh, people who were abducted by aliens and in every case, they never take a born-again Christian. They can't do it. They have no power to take a born-again Christian. Think about that. If they're just, you know, interplanetary organisms, how is it that they know the religion of the, of the abductee? So they can't mess with you, all right? As long as you know that you're born again, you've given your life to Jesus, you belong to him. You belong to him. You belong in his system. You belong in his galaxy. Amen. And he's going to take you to heaven. So thank you for, for that testimony. Appreciate it. Thank Appreciate it. Thank Appreciate you. it. The one caveat I'd like to mention, you heard the pilot say he rebuked it in the name of Jesus. And I know that's some controversy there, too, because when Michael the Archangel confronted Satan about Moses' body, he said, I, you know, I, I did not dare pronounce a railing judgment against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So 
maybe just a matter of semantics. The idea is that I wanted to get across, though, is that believers, if they do encounter whatever, if it's a demon in the form of a UFO or some other form, some human form, uh, certainly Jesus is the one that saves us. Jesus is the one that we should call on to save us from any sort of evil encounters like that. Um, well, sorry, we got a little abbreviated thing. There were some other things I was going to bring out, but he talked about aliens made you. That is one of the, one of the claims of, uh, of aliens now that people report is that the folks of the Big Bang Theory, there's been so many iterations of that, and it kind of falls apart that now they've just kind of moved the problem out into outer space and saying, well, life was created elsewhere and brought to Earth. Uh, so any questions? Okay, thanks very much.